not the ones in the town, the ones, is it the A57 that goes to Worksop? And we stopped, it was on red, and uh, obviously then it, it was our turn to go. And as I go over the crossroads, I saw a car coming the other way. And I knew what the guy was going to do. I'm on green, right? And so I just caught sight of him out of the corner of my eye. And this guy, he was, a, he was elderly, um, that's no excuse, but he was looking at the traffic lights, which were clearly on red, because now I've got them in my mirror, look, looking back. You know that thing that's on your thing that you don't use? I, I, I got that, and I'm looking at it, because I know what he's going to do. And I burst out laughing to Kay, and I said, I cannot believe what the guy's just done. Straight through on the red light. Absolutely straight through. And she bounced back to me straight away, and she said, people just don't like being told what to do. And do you know that has been the fault of humanity since the Garden of Eden? We just think we know best, don't we? All of us. And, and uh, it just fits so much with this morning, really. Because let me, I'll give you the punchline, you don't know best. Stop thinking you do and learn the lesson. I, I was up early this morning and, and I've had a great time with God. I know some of you will find this difficult to believe. I'm 60. Obviously, no one in the room found that difficult to believe. Okay, that wasn't a word of knowledge. I'm 60, and I've been a Christian for, I don't know, maybe 30 years. And, I, and I, maybe it's because we did the men's breakfast the other day, and there are a few things that I'd forgotten in my walk where God was just guiding me back up to him all the time. And if you remember last week's sermon, and if you don't, it'll be on the website, I ended it last week with four words which, which the writer includes for a reason. And the four words are this, Bethel, Ebenezer, Gilgal, what was the fourth one? Mizpah. Thank you, Graham. You are great. Let's go through them. Bethel, house of God. The story really in Genesis about, about Jacob meeting with God. And I said last week, coming to church is one of those places you've just got to come, even when you don't want to come. And we all have those days, except me, because I love it. Right? But be an encouragement, keep coming. It's God wants you to come to him, recognise him, trust him. Ebenezer. And the place where in that chapter 8 is where he put down a rock. And he called it Ebenezer, or between the two, the two places. And I pointed out that actually, as Christians, we need these memorial stones. We need these places where you and I both know that that was God. And I was, I've been blown away again this morning. I've got loads of these. But you know what? If you don't visit them, they're just rocks. Let that sink in. If you don't go back to your memorial stones, they're just rocks. And, and I am embarrassed to say this, that I've, I've not visited as often as I should. I've got loads. 
Do you know, and I can feel the Spirit of God as, even as I speak. When was the last time you visited your memorial stones? Because when we don't, do you know what happens? We all lose our way. We forget how good he is. We get wrapped up in, in life and life can stink sometimes. Even when God is good, life can stink. And it can hurt and it's, you know, and, and we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers. You know, we can sing the words, can't we, all through the storm. Yeah, I don't like going through storms. I like it when it's plain sailing. I, I won't, didn't mind when I was in the Navy, it was quite exciting. But actually now I'm, on, now I'm a landlubber, uh, no storms today, thank you Lord. And sometimes he answers that and sometimes he doesn't. Gilgal, the place where Samuel was going around these towns and, and he tells us specifically, and if you look up Gilgal, it was the place of recommitment. A place that, you know what, we're all so unfaithful that each one of us needs a Gilgal. It needs a place in your home where you go one-on-one -on -one with God. And you just clear out some of the rubbish that, that just we just we all accumulate it. And you just say, Do you know what, God? I'm gonna do this life. I'm gonna I'm gonna believe in you and trust in you, even when it, it's a storm and when it's difficult. The Israelites did it, we have to do it, and we don't like doing it. And then the one Graham pointed out, Mizpah. Mizpah was the place of sacrifice. When Samuel was surrounded by the Philistines and they'd come for a worship service, probably, almost 99% certain, unarmed, they'd come up to get a, be attacked and he cried out to God and he sacrificed and it was the reminder of the blood. You know, without the blood of Christ, there's none of this. None of this. He died for us. Not while we knew him. Do you know there wasn't one person in this room knew him? He calls us, he gives us the faith to believe in him because of his grace and his love. And we've got to keep remembering the cross. You've got, the cross puts everything in perspective. Do not forget the cross. So chapter 8, look, is, is this. It's a mirror. Because despite all that I've just said to you, Samuel gets old, and so the people come to Samuel in chapter 8 and they say, you're old, your children aren't walking with God, so give us a king. And the key phrase of it all was this, we want to be like everyone else, we want to be like the other nations. You're not like everybody else. If you're born again, spirit-filled, you're different. The sad thing of the Bible is this. You can choose to walk in the old self. And that brings us to chapter 10, you see. Sorry, chapter 9 and 10. You're different. You were purchased with the blood of Jesus. You belong to him. When I look back at my life, my walk with God... I sometimes think, God, if you just took my brain away on that day, instead of giving me your spirit, if you'd have got rid of this thing in my head, life would have been easier. I'd have just done what you asked me to do. I've had some amazing times. The Israelites had an amazing time. They had their memorial stones. They forgot them 
and they went their own way. Can you imagine doing that to God? Can you imagine saying to God, despite all that I know, they've got 400 years of history by now, the Israelites. They know the history of being redeemed out of Israel. They know that the Lord provided for them for the 40 years in the wilderness. Despite all of that, despite going into the promised land, despite all of that, and the rules and the, the, the blessings that they had, they want to be like everybody else. Come on. Do you want to be like everybody else? At least my wife don't. <laughs> you know, in your heart, do you want to be the same as everyone else? I don't. We're going to look at donkeys. Donkeys are important in the Bible. Can we put the scripture up please, Graham? This is a really weird story. But it's there for a purpose. It's there for a purpose. It is there to give you and I assurance. I'll wake you up. Can you all speak to me now and say the word assurance? Come on. Some big words here. And I'm going to make you laugh. There was a Benjaminite. A man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zior, the son of Bekorath, the son of Apathiah of Benjamin. You'll not forget him in a hurry, will you? Anyway, that's who it was. We're introduced to Saul. Kish had a, had a son named Saul, as handsome as a young man as he could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. It's funny, when I read that passage, I thought, if he was alive today, he'd be a fireman. In joke. He'd be a fireman, definitely. And the ladies would be all swooning over this guy. And he's going to be called by God. The interesting thing is, he's going to be called by God, he's going to be equipped by God, and he's going to mess up massively. I see it happen so many times in believers' lives. I've seen it happen so many times in my life. No guarantees, you see. It's this awkward thing called free will. Don't half mess us up sometimes. And it messes all up in the end. See, donkeys. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. Donkeys are important. In an agricultural society, we can see, it's a bit like losing your four before, if you're a farmer, your tractors or whatever. You've got to get them back. But there's a little bit of inside information there. We know he's wealthy because he's got more than one. Most families would have one donkey. But Saul comes from a wealthy family, respected, and the donkeys have gone walkies. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around there, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalem, but the donkeys were not there. And then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they could not find them. They are seeking donkeys. I have a mental image of God saying to the donkeys, move on, move on, move on. I'll let you into a secret. God's in this. God is in missing donkeys. 
That's how close God is to you and I. Let those words sink deep into you. If God's in the donkeys, if he's using a donkey to take a guy through the country on an appointment, a divine appointment, that's our God. Sometimes, you know, as evangelical Christians, we look for the spectacular. I've had the spectacular and I love it. But let me tell you this, he is in the everyday mundane parts of looking for donkeys. When you go to work tomorrow morning, God's there, directing our paths. Sometimes, and only sometimes, we can look back over our shoulder and we can see the evidence of God. And you know what? I suspect most of the time we can't. But this passage tells me something. This passage tells me he's in the small details of life. Let's move on. When they reached the districts of Suf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Reasonable of a dad to start worrying about the son. Now the donkeys have not turned up. Let's move on. Thank you. But the servant replied, Look in this town, there is a man of God, he's highly respected and everything he says comes true. Why didn't you tell me that three days ago? I'd have said. <laughs> I'd have given him a slap. In love. We've been wandering the countryside, going through all these places, and there's a man of God who could tell us where they are. Come on. It also tells me this. Saul doesn't know there's a man of God there. He's not walking with God. He's not doing anything. He's, he's comes from a wealthy background. He's probably just looking at, forward to his inheritance and just... Coasting through life. He's not religious in any way. He doesn't have a relationship with God. He's probably cursing the donkeys. And probably now going to slap the servant. So let's go there. Perhaps he will tell us what, which way to take. Saul said to his servant, if we, can, if we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We've no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? I'll give you my bank account details later. Another joke? Come on. It's a tough crowd today, Sam. When you go to a man of God in the Old Testament, you took a gift, a blessing. It's not an authority to do that today. But that's what they do. They're expected to bless him. Move it on. The servant answered him again, Look, he said, I've got a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us which way to take. Formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let's go to the seer. Because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. All right, so you can get the story. Good, said Saul to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. They're on track. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women doing their hair. Wouldn't you, Beverly? Yeah, okay. Coming out to draw water and they asked them, is the seer here? Do you know one way of you knowing when you're on God's path? You can see the evidence of it. You don't need to be super spiritual. You should be able to determine that God is directing your path. He doesn't play the guessing game with you. So many Christians 
get into such a muddle because they're saying, is God asking me to do this? Is God asking me to do that? Is that your God? This is my God. This is my God who actually begins to send confirmation you're on the right path. We've seen it the last three years. You must be absolutely off your head if you cannot see God in this where we are today. Just send some young women to cross their path. Saul hasn't got a clue what is about to happen. The book's not written. All he's doing is looking for donkeys. And God's going to come into it. He, yeah, the seer yeah, is here, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just... Notice the timing of God. He's just arrived. He's just come to our town today for the people of a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. If we didn't have the next couple of verses, we wouldn't have God's perspective on it. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Go up now, you should find him about this time. Their paths are going to cross and it is because God is in control. There is great assurance for everyone in this room if you can know God is in control. Do you know God's in control? Do you see what I mean about him shoving these donkeys around the countryside? Come on, come on, keep moving, keep moving. If he's going to use a donkey, he can use us. Most of us. Move on. They went up to the town, and as they're entering it, look at the timing. There was Samuel coming up towards them on his way to the high place. The paths are being directed. Do you know, on Thursday when we had this volunteer tea party, to say thank you to the volunteers, one of the guests here was Tanya Noon. And Tanya Noon works for the cooperative. And she'd not forgot a conversation I had. I took her around and I showed her downstairs. And she said to me, do you remember when we first met? And, and let me tell you the story. Some of you will know, some of you won't. So just bear with me. We... we when we started the food bank, we tried to put a bin into the Eckington Co-op and they said no. They would have nothing to do with it. Timing. Timing. Several months later, the Co-op at regional office make a decision that they will get on board with food banks. And so they said to, to Michelle, who runs the food bank, would you come? We'll put a donation bin in, have your photograph taken for the magazine, and then we'll start to su support the food bank. On the day that Michelle was supposed to come, and, and hear what I'm saying, she would have driven over from Newark. No problem at all. Uh, those of you who know Michelle n knows that she would have just, just come over. But Leon, her husband, was poorly. And so she phones me and she says, will you do it? Will you do this? Go along. And of course I'm going to do it. But I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go and get a photograph taken. So I put a suit on. I, put, I do, the, do the, the nice thing, I put the pastor head on, and I go and meet these people. There were two ladies there, and it's going very, very well. I stand there like a lemon, the flash goes off, I get back in the car, it's chucking down the rain, and I'm going to come home and get out this suit, because Kay doesn't like me wearing a suit. Got it so far? When I'm in the car, I, I, I wouldn't say I hate God. There's an impression on, in me, that's all. And, and the impression was this, 
Invite the ladies. To ask the ladies if they've ever seen a food bank. So he's chucking down the rain. I'm thinking, it's a lot easier just to drive off, you know. Just go home, get out the suit. But I got out of the car. I got out of the car and I, and I went to Tanya and I said to her, you're doing all this with food banks. Have you actually seen one? And she says, no, we've not. I said, well, would you like to see one? They check the time. Yeah, we, before the next appointment, we can, we can go. So they drive from Eckington Co-op. I take them to the food bank. They walk into the food bank and it blows them away. It blows them away. And they're, they're really happy and everything. But then the other lady looks up and sees all the stuff that's over from the car boot sale, which we'd held months ago. We'd kept this stuff. And she said to me, I can see all the food, but what's all that? And I said, well, we've got this desire. We have this desire and an understanding that actually we're looking for a, um, a charity shop. On that conversation, you are now sat in a building. If I, and there is no building if I don't get out of that car. There is no building if Leon is not ill because she wouldn't have done what I did. And that's not a criticism. That is the truth that we've had that conversation. And that's this. That's this. And a, a non-Christian who works for the co-op is stood downstairs reminding me. She's never forgot it. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that our God? You can nod at me if you can see God in that. Come on. It's no different. We've got the hindsight now. There was all sorts of conversations. There was all sorts of issues with planning. But we're here. There's n- we don't need a big room, do we? Maybe we do. We had the same with the warehouse. We, we, those of you who came down the day that we actually got the keys to the warehouse, we looked around the warehouse and we said, there's a lot of space. <laughs> yeah, you know now because we've got two big warehouses. And they're both full. We can't do this, but this is our God. This is our God. This is how close he is. And the timing and all of those things. And it gets better. Look, sorry, sorry, Graham. I, I, I need to go back to 15. This isn't crucial to the reading of the text. The next couple of verses, the, the text would read from 14 to 18 perfectly well. God has put this in for us to see. The day before Saul came to the Lord, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. Their cry was to be like all the other nations. And in his mercy, he's going to give them what they want. They should not have done this. Israel, even today, is paying for that mistake. It goes horribly wrong and yet out of the mess that they create, the saviour of the world comes. Do you know what that means to me? Even when I mess up so much, this is the Romans 8.28, where God can say, even in your mistakes, Alan, I can do something. Even when you get it wrong. That's great. The pressure comes off. 
When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man. He hasn't spoken to Saul. Saul's not a religious person. He wouldn't know God's voice if he slapped him in the face. But he's speaking to the guy who's going to anoint him. This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And now we're back to the story. God was the one who got the donkeys on the move. It's true. It is true. And if he can move donkeys, he'll do anything. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? He doesn't know who he's talking to. Let me tell you something. Tanya Noon had no idea what she was talking to. She was doing what God had wanted her to do. God was directing the co-op to give us this building. God was directing the food bank. God was directing the furniture project. God, God, God. I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I'll send you on your way, and I'll tell you all that's in your heart. They're a scary people if you're around them. As for the donkeys, I like this a little bit. God just throws this in. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about it. They've been found. It wasn't the donkeys that were lost, by the way. It was It was Saul. And to whom it all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family. That's a powerful statement. How do you think Saul's going to receive this? I'm talking to a guy who can see the future, who can hear from God, and he comes out with a statement like that. Will he receive it? And this is what most Christians would have done. Me. They love me. Me, I'm not, a, a, I'm not that, I'm a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. Why do you say such a thing to me? This is a grow candidate. <laughs> do you know what? God says so much to his children. So much. And the kids don't get it. You just don't hear what he says to you. You hear the words. You know your identity? Your identity changed the day you met God. Some of us can recite some passages. Let me tell you something. When God says this is who you are, and you think you're wrong, one of you is wrong and it ain't God. It's just not God. How about the challenge this week is to grab one of these things that God says you are and actually be the person he says you are. Be adopted, be chosen, be a king, be a priest. Be loved. Receive it. And when you get up, you know I'm five foot six and a half. On a good day in, in Kay's high heels. But you know what? When I walk into a room, let me tell you something. God walks into a room. When I go on the bus or whatever, when I go into Tesco, I have God in me and I don't doubt that. I've learned over that walking with God that actually he is faithful. 
He really is faithful. Sometimes I mess up. And he don't particularly enjoy when I mess up. But I know this. He's never, ever given up on me. Never. And he loves me. And the last 30 years has been about me actually discovering how much he loves me. And then I've discovered not only does he love me, actually he's got a plan for me. And a calling for me. And sometimes in that 30 years, you know, I've made choices that have delayed that calling and those plans. Not him. Not him. Me. But I know this much as well. The penny's slowly dropping. I am learning to hear his voice. I once gave Kay an illustration. We were in Langold and I was at Bible College. And, and I r- ran through several of the things that had happened in my life. And I said to Kay, the trouble is, and God had gave me this picture, I'm holding on to the side. You know in a swimming pool? I like holding on to the side like kids do, kicking my little legs out behind me. I don't let go. And, and I, I'm married to Mrs. Wisdom. She says to me, well, why don't you let go? <laughs> Sometimes she's not very sort of spiritual in that sense and can't quote the passage or whatever. But she says to me, just let go. It's great fun learning to swim. There's a desire in me sometimes to grab hold of the side again. Because I think I know I'm better. And, and I might want to be like all the other people. Holding on to the side and kicking their legs. But there's so much fun letting go. And discovering that actually he's got his hand under you. He won't let you go. He will not let you go. Let's see what happens. And then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited. There's about 30 in number. Saul's joining the party. The party was arranged ahead of his, his getting there, by the way. Look, it gets even better. Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. I wonder what these 30 people are thinking. Who's this guy who's just walked into town? Gets the best bit of meat. They don't know what's happening. Saul doesn't know what's happening. The only one in that crowd who knows what's happening is Samuel. And that's life. There is so much going on behind the scenes that we just don't see it all the time. We like to see it, and if we don't see it, sometimes we'll make it up. Do you know we didn't make the food bank up? Did we? 80,000 meals. Hundreds of John's Gospels have gone out, sowing seeds all over. Brilliant on Thursday. Representatives from different churches. I've sat with a pastor or the new leader of Oaks at Dronfield, one of the leaders there, and he says to me, it just like blows him away. And I said, but it's God. Just do what God's asking you to do. It's not rocket science. And then you see the evidence. Here is what has been kept for you. Eat because it was set aside for you for this occasion from the time I said I've invited guests and saw dying with Samuel that day and his head must have been spinning. All he's doing is looking for donkeys. After they came down from the high place of the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. I would like to know what they discussed. 
But we're not told. It's not relevant to the story, so we're not told. Move on. They rose about daybreak and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, get ready and I'll send you on your way. And when Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they're going down to the edge of town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while so that I may give you a message from God. The servant doesn't know what's happening. He has no idea about the calling on Saul's life. Now we're into chapter 10. And then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Israel are his inheritance. You are his inheritance. That's how close you are to God. Move on, please. When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb. All right. We get to the, the story's change now. God's providence. God's ability to direct anybody's life. But how do you know it's God? How can you actually be, settle yourself in your heart and say, is this you directing my life, God, or is it just Whatever. When I first got saved, I used to say to my staff, this has happened, and God's done this. And, and they would say to me, it's just coincidence. It didn't take long for the penny to drop in my head. I get lots of coincidences. I get lots of coincidences. The coincidence of Leon not being, being well on that day. Really? No, it's God. Learn to see it. Don't be afraid of actually saying, is this you, God? Because this is what God can do. When you leave me today, you'll meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelpha on the border of Benjamin. They'll say to you these words. The donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? So God knows what the conversation is going to be said beforehand. And then you'll go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel, the house of God, will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. Nothing is left to chance. They don't know why they're, why they're doing what they're doing. But God is saying through a man, through Samuel to Saul, I have called you for a purpose and I want you to have complete assurance you're in the right place, doing the right thing. Have you got that in your, in your heart? Have you got that in your life? Some of you will remember Tanya. Do you remember Tanya who came here? Tanya went through a really difficult time and she moved away to Gainsborough. The church went through a difficult period of time and um, Tanya came back. She only came back for two services. We picked her up at the Traveller's Rest pub and she came. And I remember Kay and I were looking at a job in Gateshead and we got offered the job in Gateshead. And it was, it was at that point, would the church choose to be fully congregational or would it, would it become an independent church? And, you know, when we came here, we were directed by God quite clearly to come to Killamarsh. 
And I'd forgot that. So, you know, you can, you can spiritualize it and you can think, actually, we might have been called for a season. That's a good Christian word, isn't it? A season. We all have seasons, right? And when it gets tough, the season's ended. <laughs> You've had them. All started. Anyway, I have Tanya, and, and Tanya became a Christian during the early ministry of the church. And she was asking what was happening and catching up with people and everything. Now, she's a fairly new believer. And her life was a mess. And I said, well, we might be going up to, up to Gateshead and, uh, and we're thinking about that. And this young lady spun on a sixpence and looked at me and she said these words. She said, you told me that God called you to this church. And I said, yes, he did. No doubt about that. And then she said to these, these lovely words, has God called you to Gateshead then? And I said, no. Then she said, well, stop leaving. <laughs> and you think, do you know what? Out of the mouth of babies. Absolutely out of the mouth. And I thought, hmm, I can't think of a theological answer to get me off the hook. But I was on a hook, you know. I was going in my own strength again. And that's one of the defaults that we can do sometimes. We can go in our own strength. But she was right. For me to leave here, God has to write it. He wrote it for us to come here, and he has to write it for us to leave here. I thought, oh, you do the funeral bit. It's fine. Don't worry. I've gone then. This is our God, people. Let's move on. They will greet you, and not only does he know what they're doing, he knows what they're going to do. And they offer you two loaves of bread, which you'll accept from them. After that, you'll go to Gilbeth of God, where there's a Philistine outpost, and as you approach the town, you'll meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, tambourines, pipes and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. This must have been quite a party on the road. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. What a lovely passage of Scripture. You see, when God calls you, he equips you. He will never do one without the other. Whatever you are called to, if you are called by him, he will give you the ability to do what you are called to do. One of the roles of church is to find what your calling is. And I understand, listen... Some people go through life wondering what the calling is. There is a secret to this, by the way. And we'll get to it in the next one. But you are all called. Hear that. And even if you are called to come to church, stay in a secular employment, we don't, you all can't leave jobs and become preachers. That's not what it means. Right? But he will equip you in your work to be the person he wants you to be. Whatever that is. He will, be, he will anoint you to be his witness to the others who don't know him. If everyone gave up their job and all worked for the church, well, we wouldn't get on anyway. Ah, some of you got that. <laughs> okay. Look. You are a different person. This is the problem with... with 
that we do. We are all different, but we all like to be the old one. Let that go home. Right? There is two people in you now. One is the different one. One is the old one. Different, old. Different, old. Free will means you get to choose which person you want to be. The old you wants to be like everybody else. Wants to be like everyone else. The new you has a desire to be like Jesus. And there's a battle raging within each one of us. The only way you subdue that battle is to yield to God. If you don't yield to God, the battle just kicks off all the time. Once again, I, I, I had Wednesday, Thursday night, my daughter was over. And um, she's 32, I think. And we... we what? She used to be 32. How old is Gail then? Anyway. I've got this daughter. <laughs> Hang on, I'm trying to get my thoughts. Hang on. I've got this daughter... And she used to be eight. I know that much. <laughs> well, it was close. She only looks 32. Well, I'll get off. The, uh, anyway, let me get back to the story. Right. We sat having a lovely, a lovely chat. Uh, her husband's at a meeting in, in Chesterfield. And we're, we're chatting away. And we get onto the grandkids. And um, uh, Asher, uh, the oldest grandson, has gone into big school. So that would make him 12, yeah? So 11. That makes him 11. He's 12 next. He's nearly 12. But he was 11 when this happened. Do you know they do sex education at school? Well, they do all sorts of stuff. But when we had these sort of chats with her, well, her mum did. <laughs> well, you know... Anyway, we did. Um, she was telling me that they put on a, a, an evening meeting um, for the parents of that class to come to so that they would be told what the subject would be taught in class and how, how it would do. And she said to me, Dad, there were three parents there at the meeting. Three on an evening meeting. Two of them belonged to Asher. So there was Asher's parents and one other parent out of 60 children. And, and, and so I, I said, well, what, what were they taught? And they were taught all sorts of, you know, they're going to be taught all sorts of things. And uh, she's, she's a brilliant mum. He has a phone and she checks his phone and, you know, for, for bullying and all, and all that sort of stuff. They live in a very difficult world. So much harder today to be a parent than it was for me to parent her. But one of the things she said to me, she said, we went all through the, what the lesson was going to be. And she said, I raised a question. And she said, the question I raised was abstinence. I, you know, you're teaching all this about sex. But what about waiting until you're married? And the woman laughed, who was, t who was teaching, the th not teaching, who was telling them, the, th the parents. She said, don't be silly. 
She said, we expect all children to be sexually active by the time they're 15. That, now that is scary. That is from the school, by the way. And, and Gail said that actually the subject of waiting is not covered in that classroom. And, and here what I'm going to say, that is a church school. That's how difficult that is out there. And the desire to be like all the other people. And then you have a young lad who's learning about Jesus and worshipping God and doing all those things. But this isn't a game that we're in. And if we don't show them a different way, you and I, let me tell you something, the education system is not going to do it for you. The education system says this, the more information that you can be given, and, and I've watched this ever since my children were at school, we'll give them more information, more information, we'll teach them with the right, and the, you know, the, we'll teach them about contraception, we'll teach them about how not to have babies and all that sort of stuff. And the situation is getting slowly worse and worse and worse. And that will kick on into society. The moral values of this country have gone completely. And your taxes are going to pay that. Isn't that strange? But we should expect it. We should really expect it. But you're different. You are a different person. Will you be the person he wants you to be? That's this free will. Let's get moving on quickly. I'll get the fourth one in. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I'll surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days. Get that because we picked that up in a bit. You've got to wait seven days. Even the king had to be subject to God's word. We told earlier in chapter 3 that when Samuel spoke, Israel knew that it was God's word. So Samuel is instructing the future king of Israel... Go there, wait. He messes up because he doesn't wait. He messes up because he disobeys what God has asked him to do. You and I will do that all the time. We don't have to. You, we, why do we do it? Go back to when asked, give us a king like all the other nations. And God said to them, if I give you a king... It's going to take, 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 take. If you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, listen to, the, to online. He's going to take your sons, he's going to take your daughters, he's going to take your crops, he's going to take a tenth of all that you've got. That's what kings do. You know what God does? He gives, 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 gives. That's not prosperity gospel, that's not what I'm saying. But he's given his best. We're different. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart and all these signs were fulfilled that day. He's changed your heart. Inside of you, you have a new heart. You have a new desire to please God. Well, I do. That's one of us in the room. Come on, you do, don't you? I know, I know most of you do. This lovely thing inside of us. I just want to get it right. He directs our lives. 
He gives us the assurance when we're on the right path. I'm a different person. I've got a new heart. I'm not left guessing. Let me finish it quickly. When he and his servant arrived at Gilbeth, a procession of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying, equipped for the ministry that God has called him. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? He's different now. Saul is different. A man who lived there answered, and who is their father? That's a strange thing to stick in the middle of a... (laughs) Who is their father? And so it became a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. I'm going to end in a minute with this. The servant doesn't know. The uncle doesn't know. The crowd don't know. But Saul knows. He's had the confirmation. He's done something different. He's a new person. End with this. Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. He didn't tell him. Do you know why? Have any of you read ahead? Ooh, got you on the hook. One of the things that's apparent is this, look. Sometimes there's a time to say something and other times there's just a time just to say, I'm going to meditate on that in my heart. I need to get my head around what God's asking me to do. I don't have to rush into something. I know what God's asking me to do. He's confirmed what he's asked me to do. He's anointed me to do the very thing that he's asking me to do. But the timing isn't now. It isn't quite right. And that's a frustration sometimes. I look at what's happening in this church and I am really excited. It's, it's like we've stumbled on something. But there is so much evidence for us to know we've stumbled on the right thing. We won't rush ahead. Hear what I'm saying? We will not rush ahead and do something to undo the good work. And I don't know where it leads. I really don't know where it leads. I don't know whether it will finish next week, for all I know. But this much I do know, and I end with this. I know God's here today. I know the God who can move donkeys to get people to the right place at the right time so that he can speak to their hearts. And I know this God wants to do that. Maybe it's a word of direction. Maybe it's a word for ministry. Maybe it's just to let you know that he loves you. You're not here by accident today. You're not here looking for donkeys because we've got none. (laughs) But (laughs) But listen, you are here because you can be different.
Shall we worship God? Okay.